This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery companion. Break down each week's brand new episode of the sixth live-action Star Trek series with us every Monday during the season. To subscribe on your iPhone, Android, or other device, visit our website at discoveringtrek.com. Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. little show this side of the alpha quadrant your independent star trek podcast greetings everyone welcome to trek geeks thank you so much for downloading thanks for listening and thanks for sharing a little bit of your time with us this week i'm your co-host bill smith we're excited to talk to you today as we wrap up our tng 30 retrospective which has gone on all year long and of course by we i do have a co-host he shows up each and every week you don't know this oh yeah this is an exclusive we're breaking this news right now but my co-host was actually in the, f- the series finale for Star Trek The Next Generation, All Good Things. It's not a well-known fact. He doesn't like to talk about it. But uh, he was an extra before it was cool. And if you pay very close attention to the scene where Q and Picard are looking at this big pile of primordial ooze, that's it. That's him. And what a shock that... You know, that primordial ooze couldn't get its stuff together either. It's just like my co-host, Dan Davidson. Dan, you did a great job in that episode, buddy. I'm sorry, what? Um, I'm, I'm sorry I'm late to the show. I was ironing my underwear, supposedly. <laughs> wow. Th- thanks <laughs> so, for sharing that with everybody. I, yeah, I didn't want anybody to know. That was a very tough scene. We had to film that several times, actually, because I kept screwing up the lines, of which I had done. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to just sit there and look like you're trying to get it together. But you do that each and every week here on Trek Geeks. <laughs> that is absolutely correct. Uh, as always, it's great to be here, man. Looking forward to talking all good things today. Uh, as you said, it's, it's amazing to think that we've gone, it's been a year. We started with TNG in January, and we're already at the uh, middle of December right now, wrapping up the 30th anniversary of Star Trek returning to television. We are, and it's. Um, I'm excited to talk about this episode tonight. I remember vividly when it aired in 1994. It was very exciting, and um, I think we're. I think we're going to have a lot to say about uh, all good things, Dan. I think we are. Uh, we had a great time last week with Jason Inman talking season seven, see it or skip it, 
And uh, we originally were going to talk all good things last week, but decided to move it to this week so that uh, we could have more to talk about. And for those people who listened last week, I had some very strong comments about all good things. And after rewatching it this week in preparation for this episode, I'm going to be backtracking a little bit. Uh, No spoilers, but uh, there are some things that I was thinking watching this weekend that made me uh, think twice about those comments I made. So we'll get into that a a little bit later, but I am looking forward to an awesome conversation. Indeed, we will have just that. Dan, the other thing we're going to have, hopefully, is feedback from people that love all good things where they want to yell at you for what you say later. How might they get in touch with us, my friend? Well, on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Skype, and Instagram, you can find us at Trek Geeks. And you can also send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com. But if you'd like to give us a call and leave us a voicemail, we'd love you to do that. You can call us at 508-784-1701. You can do the same thing and leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. And every week we love talking about Camp Kittimer. That's our official Facebook group. We love people joining. We're getting new people every week. We're getting people coming back every week, as I saw uh, this evening. So if you want to become part of the fun, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And uh, one of our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan, will let you write in to join in on all the fun. But you do have to remember, Bill, it's very important that all of these people remember that any comments or messages using this message for basically maybe in this future episode? Back to you, Bill. Well, I, I'm sorry. Um, could you? Uh, this is like we're in wink of an eye, you know, and you're like that fly that's buzzing around. You might want to slow that down a little bit. Oh, wow. I'll be happy to repeat it again. Yeah. Okay. So please remember that any comments or messages you leave in any of these places may be used in a future episode, Bill. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. What fly? Somebody let that fly in here. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Yes. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Trek. It's treknews.net. Online at treknews.net. And Dan, up first this week, you know, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's all I can do. Dan, there's apparently a pitch for a brand new Star Trek movie, the, the fourth Kelvin timeline Star Trek movie. And it's from a very unlikely source. <laughs> I know you're really excited about this. Um, yes. According to Deadline, Mr. Quentin Tarantino has outlined a story for a new Star Trek feature film, and he has pitched that to J.J. Abrams. Now, what's interesting about this is Abrams, who's already working on you know pre-production for the next Star Wars movie, episode 27 or something like that, um, he actually loved the idea that Mr. Tarantino uh, pitched to him so much that he is going to put together a writer's room to work on a script based on what Tarantino uh, wants to do. Very, very interesting. Now, if this all works out and goes well, 
the article over at treknews.net discusses that the plan will be for Abrams to produce and for Tarantino to direct Star Trek four in the Kelvin timeline. How do you feel about that, buddy? I, uh, I just, I, I almost don't have words. Um, let's back up a little bit and say, uh, this is the kind of story that has been, uh, verified. This is not a rumor. This did happen. Deadline isn't, you know, a, a source, you know, for, for news like this. And they are more often than not correct on the things that they report. Plus this has now been reported other places. Mm-hmm. So we're accepting this as true because deadline has that track record. Um, I, you know, it's funny because JJ took a lot of heat from true fans. And I use that with air quotes around it for not being a Star Trek fan and trying to make Star Trek. And that's been the rallying cry. Well, he's not a fan. And now from a lot of those same people, we have somebody who is an unabashed fan of Star Trek in Quentin Tarantino. And people are complaining about this too. Personally, I don't love this idea. What do you think? I'm not a huge fan of the idea for a couple of reasons. Now, first of all, I I love several of of Tarantino's movies. To be honest, (laughs) this is going to surprise and probably aggravate a lot of people, maybe even you, Bill. I just saw, um, uh, oh God, I can't even think of the name, but the one with Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. I just saw Pulp Fiction for the first time a year ago this month. I had never seen it until last December when my wife put it in the DVD player. Um, I loved Django. I love a lot of the things that he's done. I just, seeing the work that he's done, even though he's a huge Star Trek fan, it just doesn't seem that he would be able to put together a Trek film that would be a Trek film if he directed it. And I've already seen some rumors out this weekend that if he were to do it, it's guaranteed that it's going to be an R rating. And I can only imagine what that would, what would happen if that was greenlit by any way. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not a huge fan of Pulp Fiction. I will say I do love Reservoir Dogs, his very first film. Mm -hmm. And I love Kill Bill volume one. The rest of them I could take or leave because I don't think they're all that great. Um, the part of my problem with Tarantino is that he has really yet to tell a truly linear story uh, that grows characters. All of his oh, movies yeah. kind of skip around, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily want that in a Star Trek movie. Uh, now, granted, he would probably want to play with you know, timelines or, or whatever. And uh, there's a report now that Patrick Stewart is interested if, if Tarantino is, is truly involved, which could be interesting on its own. I do think that Patrick Stewart could uh, could be interesting in in the Kelvin timeline. I also think that that Tarantino could do a a pretty kick ass mirror universe movie if they decided to do that. That's true. How, however, his movies are usually incredibly violent mm-hmm. and laced with profanity, um, which I ultimately I don't have a problem with. It's just not necessarily what I'm looking for in a Star Trek movie. Now, some people are going to say, but Bill, we just had the F-bomb dropped in Discovery. And that's true. We did. Although I thought it was in character and I thought that it fit that particular scene. Um, in Tarantino's case, um, that, that it's not usually that targeted, shall we say. I think the problem with if this were to happen, and I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I don't know if it's a great idea. I don't know if it's a horrible idea. But- 
what would lean me towards not wanting it is because we've talked about it, about what people are like on social media with things that they don't approve of. And I think if this was where something would happen, it would be nothing more than a bacteria frap of negativity that would just start spilling everywhere by the haters. Um, we've seen it with Discovery with what you said, the F-bomb and, and the Klingon nudity and the finale and this, that, and the other thing. Something like this, I think, would just be uh, uh, just a an explosion of just stuff that I would not be even able to take on social media, even if I agreed with it. I'm sorry. Did you just use the phrase "bacteria frap of negativity"? Uh, I like that. Did you like that? I like that. <laughs> that is the best. We're going to use that again. That reminds me of that reminds me of some other stories in the Star Trek universe, but uh, for another time. Um, I mean, you know, there is a potential that you know Tarantino c- could surprise everybody because he does love Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You know, people will also be quick to point out that, you know, at the beginning of Kill Bill, there's the, quote, revenge is a dish that is best served cold. Right. And it's, it, you know, it's got the attribution of, you know, old Klingon proverb, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. But I just, I I don't know. He's done TV. He's done ER. He's done CSI, both of which were stories that kind of skipped around. Um, obviously, the violence was toned down because it was television. Um but I guess we'll see. Does that make sense? It does. And on the positive side, I will put this in there. I'm up. I'm up for seeing anything that's that's going to be something that would spark discussion and maybe really, really have positive things. I mean, to be honest, I had seen some of J.J. Abrams stuff before the reboot, and I had my concerns and questions. But as everybody who listens to this show knows, I love what Abrams has done in the movies. I thought 2009 reboot was fantastic and it was great to see some of the things that we had seen a little bit on television come to life in the rebooted movie. So who knows? Tarantino could be awesome at it, but I think right now it's just one that's like with all of the things going on right now in the Star Trek world with people's opinions, that might be a little bit too much right after Discovery's launch. It may be, you know, and you know, if Quentin Tarantino can come in and tell a story that's worthy of Star Trek, then then yay for all of us, right? Absolutely. You know, I hear people saying, well, I don't think he can tell a story in the Roddenberry vision. It's like, I'm sorry, we haven't had very many films that have actually had the Roddenberry vision with the exception of probably the first one ever mm-hmm. and maybe the fourth one, and that's debatable. Right. So we'll we see. shall see. Dan, moving on. There is a new piece of Discovery merchandise being released very soon, and it is music to my ears, man. <laughs> Literally, buddy. I like that. Yes. Um, very excited to see this come out uh, last week is when I saw it. It may have been out uh, a little bit before that, but uh, the Discovery soundtrack is finally being released digitally on December 15th. Very, very excited. Um, it will additionally be available uh, as a physical CD and a vinyl release in early 2018. And Bill, when's the last time you purchased a vinyl recording of something? I would like to ask. <laughs> uh, I can tell you, actually, it was 1992. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. It was an old Chicago album, their greatest hits, you know, with like 25 or 64 and, mm-hmm. and all those songs. So that was the last one I purchased. 
That's kind of, I wonder if we'll have like one of those special prints on it, but we'll find out in early 2018. Um, as those who have been watching and listening to Discovery, Emmy Award winner Jeff Russo is, uh, the music is composed by that fine gentleman, um, and will be distributed by Lakeshore Records. The album will include 21 tracks from the latest Star Trek saga. And I, for one, have to say that the music in Discovery, especially the theme, has really grown on me in the first half of the season. Um, We've talked about how important it is for the music to be its own character in a lot of episodes. And I think the music that Mr. Uh, Russo has done does that very, very well. Without a doubt, I think that the opening theme for Discovery is probably some of my favorite Star Trek music ever, and that's that's ranking it right up there with the uh, with the the Sandy Courage theme, and even with Michael Giacchino's 2009 score. So, just great, great stuff, and I, I can't wait to hear it. And well, I'm I'm going to buy the the digital copy, so I can't wait to get it on my iPod. So, same here. Dan, lots of crowdfunding updates first. We're going to talk about the new short film from some of our friends that worked on Star Trek Continues. Yes, uh, some good updates, very positive updates. Uh, When the Train Stops fundraising um, pitch was scheduled to end uh, early, uh, late last week. And we were watching it on that final day and we were very excited to see that they were able to reach their goal before the end of the campaign. So congratulations to everybody over at When the Train Stops. We're very excited for y'all. And uh, you want to keep your eyes on their Facebook page and on their Twitter pages because they're going to have some new information coming soon. Uh, on the production of that short film. And again, congrats to uh, folks like Lisa, James, Vic, and Kipley, uh, everybody involved in this project. As we have talked about, there are a lot of Star Trek and Star Trek continues alumni involved in this short film. So we're very happy that they were able to reach that initial goal. Indeed. I I can't wait to see what they do. Uh, I'm happy to be and proud to be a donor of the project, as I know you are, and uh, good things coming. I, I can't wait. Dan, also... There's an update uh, on the crowdfunding for the gentlemen who provide the music for this podcast. Yes, uh, this project would be just a shell of a podcast without the music from Five Year Mission. And we're so excited to see that their uh, crowdfunding for their year four album is rolling along at just an amazing pace. As we record here this evening, uh, the boys in the band have raised over $7,500 so far. Uh, and they've added some really amazing new perks and stretch goals. And Bill, I got to tell you one of them that I think you're going to be very excited about. <laughs> okay. And, and that is if the guys raise $9,000. So that's less than less than a lot uh, um, <laughs> to, to get to $9,000. Not only will there be a year four supplemental album, but in addition, there will be, wait for it, a five-year mission 2019 calendar, which may or may not be a calendar of the beefcake variety, my friend. Oh, the possibilities. Oh, the dreaming. I can only hope that I might have to write a check for $2,000 tomorrow. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, my farking word. Um, <laughs> I I have no words uh, really for that. Um I can't. I can't wait to see a beefcake calendar from those guys. Um, I hope that everybody donates to their crowdfunding just to make that happen alone. Huh. 
because that would be amazing. <laughs> it would be awesome. And for those who are interested, we will we will plug it here because we're very excited. Um, there are a couple of perks available on this Kickstarter page that if you would like to be a special guest host here on Trek Geeks to host a see it or skip it for one of the seasons of Deep Space Nine, that perk is available. So not only will you help the band with year four, you'll also help all of the listeners by listening to somebody other than just Bill or I for an entire episode. So that's always a good thing. That is so true. So true, buddy. So head on out to fiveyearmission.net, you know, download to their crowdfunder, you know, let's help make this happen. I want to see some beefcake. I don't know about Dan, but uh, I want to hang that up in my wall and look at it every time we podcast. That's all I'm saying. Well, buddy, we gather this week to sort of wrap up our Trek 30 retrospective. We've been looking at Star Trek The Next Generation all year long, on and off, as a celebration of the 30th anniversary. And we finally come to the end of the road, which is the series finale. And of course, I'm talking about all good things. Um, As you look back on the last year, in 2017, as we've talked a lot about Next Gen, um, have your feelings about the series overall changed? Um, do you find that you have more um, more of a reminiscent tone when you watch it, or you know, are you watching it more critically, or how is the year shaken out for you? Well, first of all, two quick points, as you mentioned. First of all, I can't believe, like I said earlier, it's been a year that we've been doing TNG 30 celebrations. That's amazing. But even more amazing is the fact that TNG is 30 years old. That is, that's kind of hard to wrap my brain around. Um, It's, it's amazing that these seasons and these episodes have held up over time the way that they have. And to answer your question, I have to say with all honesty, and I'm not being negative when I say this, please don't think that I'm being negative. I look at the percentages of the theater skippets that we've done over the course of the year and I'm surprised that there were as many skippets as there were from what I remember when we were first watching it 30 years ago. This show changed television and it changed Star Trek forever. Yet, I'm surprised that a lot of the episodes were, quote, as mediocre, end quote, as we seem to have think thought they were when we were doing the theater skippets over the course of the year. With that being said, I love it to death. I always will love it. Even the bad episodes. That's one of the great things about Star Trek, Bill, is even the worst episodes are light years ahead of a lot of other shows' best episodes. So we have that going for us, you know, which is nice. (laughs) Nicely done. Nicely done. Uh, You know, I agree with you. I mean, for see it or skip it, you know, we look at it with a more critical view. You know, at the end of the day, the vast majority of those episodes we're going to watch. I mean, you know, probably not the Aquiels, probably not the thresholds when it comes to Voyager, you know, or probably not the Muse when it comes to Deep Space Nine, or it, there's a variety of others. But, you know, Next Gen has this place in our hearts because they got to do a lot of things the original series never did. They got to go past 79 episodes. Right. You know, they, they got to have a full seven seasons. They got to actually have a finale, which the original series never got the chance to do. And I think that that's part of the reason why we look back at it with such nostalgia, because 
you know, that they got to have that experience, you know, they got to complete that story in a sense before they went on to the movies. And at least for me, I think that's always the lens with which I've looked at all good things through. Exactly. You know, it's funny you talk about the, um, they got to go past 79 episodes. And and to me, one of the quote unquote funny moments of the series itself is the episode that was that record breaker. I'm sorry. I just am not a fan of that episode at all. And I don't think you were either. Uh, I believe you're talking about Legacy, the one yeah, with Ashari Yar. Ashari Yar, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not good. Mm. No, not not great. Um <laughs> Let's let's talk a little bit about this episode and and some of the behind the scenes stuff, you know, because okay. there, there's a lot here, right? Very you know, I have I have to give credit to the people behind the cameras on this episode because there are so many little changes, you know, to to flash back to, especially you know, uh, prior to Farpoint, you know, they do a lot to to make you believe that you've traveled back in time. Just, you know, the, the changes to the conference room, the changes, you know, behind Picard's head on the console where the lines are gone, you know, the um, all kinds of things. But I think that really the thing that sells this episode is that attention to detail, because if they had been sloppy about it, I don't think it would have worked nearly as well. Oh, I agree. That's one of the things that I love the most about this episode is how they are able to bring back those things from the early seasons in a way that it looked like it was the early seasons. One of the things that that I always love about this is uh, Cole Meany, who's fantastic as O'Brien, uh, in one of the only few people besides the cast regulars who were in the premiere and the finale. He's got his old curly hair that he had in season one, which is much different when he's in Deep Space Nine. Um, that, the leaned back, the way leaned back chairs uh, at the front of the bridge uh, yeah. for the ops and con positions, that attention to detail. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in season one, Picard's hair was you, it was noticeable, and it got more. His hair, his head became more bald as the season pr- series progressed. Did they put a little bit of hair back on his head for the season one thing? Because it sure looked it to me. Those attention to detail points is what made the jumps to the past so enjoyable for me. No, I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, I, I, I think the jumps to the past are probably my favorite part because it it plays with that whole timeline pre Farpoint. And and along that, those lines, I think that uh, I I have to say I love that we get to see a, a more interesting Tasha Yar than we saw in the whole of season one of Next Gen. Absolutely. Um, and what's great about her is is of course it's how many years it's seven years since since the first uh, season. They made her look almost identical to how she looked in the premiere with her hair and makeup. And, and I got to say the other thing that popped in my head, which is unrelated to Yar, but a little bit tied together is the uniforms for season one, which I've never liked the way that that uniform sits on Picard. They had the pajamas and, and, and Tasha has that everybody in season one has that. I actually saw a couple of scants when I was rewatching the episode this past weekend. Um, but yeah, seeing her uh, in the shuttle, the way that she was, the way that she acted and how she protested Picard telling Worf to do something security related. It was great to see her back. And like you said, she did more in this episode than she did in her whole run in the first couple seasons or first season rather. Yeah, definitely. I, um, it was great to see her back. Of course, it's always great to see John Delancey. Hmm. Um, I, I love the fact that we got to see a little bit of Tomalock played by Andreas Katsoulis, mm-hmm. 
who of course uh, at the time uh, was uh, was doing Babylon Five, I think, or was right around that time. Um, you said Cole Meany was back, which was fantastic. But there were a lot of great callbacks in this episode, and um, and the fact that that they decided to tell a bookend story with Q, I think is is probably one of my favorite elements of the story. I was really hoping, or I was thinking to myself when I was watching this weekend, the final scene with Q when he says, see you out there. I really wish that one of the next generation movies had Q in it, thinking about it, because he was such a an important character in TNG. And when he showed up in DS9 and in Voyager, it wasn't really... Um, a serious tone type of episode. It was kind of, it was kind of whimsical. There was a lot of comedy involved when he showed up again. Um, but when he was on TNG, there was some meat to those parts, especially the first and last episode. Without a doubt. I am. I I liked the fact that this was a return of the type of character we saw with Q and Farpoint and some of those other instances where he wasn't comic relief. Yeah, there are a few slightly humorous things with with Q in this episode, but I think they're they're overshadowed significantly by just how dramatic this episode is, and the fact that you know Q's here to show Picard something. And when we learn that the trial was never over, I think that that's a, a fairly decent reveal for this episode. Not only that, but it will continue. The trial continues. As he said, the trial never ends. It'll be ongoing, which is why I wish I had seen, we had seen a TNG movie. Um, speaking of Q and, and the bookends, one of the things that I always liked, and this is, this is a very small nitpick that, uh, that I'm going to bring up. One of the things that I loved about the encounter at Farpoint version of the courtroom is when Q came in on that chair that was like kind of on a lift and moving. I love that. I don't know if you feel the same way, but for me in the finale, it really looks like when he's coming in from that dark area, that's green screened. And that was to me very apparent. And it took away from the scene just a little bit for me because I would have loved to see it come in on the big hydraulic thing. Like we saw in the premiere, very small nitpick, but it is something that I notice every time I see it. Yeah. I think I noticed that too in 94, but like you, it it didn't really bother me a whole lot. Mm -hmm. I thought that it was I thought that it was well done. I at least liked the continuity of the courtroom from episode one to to the final episode. I think that that meant more to me quite honestly um, as as we consider all good things, there are three distinct and separate timelines for Picard to interact with here and you know, we were talking earlier in the episode about Quentin Tarantino and how his his movies kind of jump around. And I think that this episode is a really great example of how you can tell a story that jumps around but still develops your characters because there is so much here for Picard and Patrick Stewart it just has a tour de force performance. This is a this is a great example of what a Patrick Stewart performance is. He's brilliant in this, and and I, you got to give the man credit because I believe at the same time they were doing the filming of the of the movie also. So you've got a movie that you're working on, and at the same time you're wrapping up a series finale, which is ninety five percent of Patrick Stewart on screen, if not more. That's a tremendous amount of workload for any anybody to to, to be doing, and he 
pulls this off so great. All the different jumps. And to get back to your point on Tarantino, this is a good example, like you said, of character building. One of the things that can would be concerning with Tarantino is when his his stuff jumps around, it's more confusing. This isn't isn't confusing at all when Picard is jumping from time to time, and um, Stewart just does a masterful job of it. He really does. You know, I I have two distinct and different schools of thought on this episode. The first of which is is that I wish this had been the first next generation movie because I think it's a much more interesting story than generations. And I think that it's more engaging to the audience. And the second thought is, I I wonder if, I almost wish this had been a three-parter in a way. And it was a build-up to the finale because you can have a little bit more in each of these timelines um, showing Picard's journey and maybe showing a little bit more of the, the cast and crew interaction. Because I think that, one of the things this episode misses is that sort of sense that the crew is, has gelled and become a family, you know, in in next gen, they work together and they solve problems. And in this, it's really Picard working with various subsets of his crew over time. I think that the, the future Picard and the timeline that he's in um, shows how distanced everybody has become. Um, he hadn't seen Jordy in nine years. Uh, Riker's an admiral. Uh, Worf is, is a governor for the, in the Klingon empire. Uh, Data's teaching at Cambridge. Uh, I mean, Deanna's dead. I mean, all of these things he's alone. Uh, I liked that he was back at his, uh, uh, winery in, in France. Um, but it, it, it was kind of sad to see that the crew that was so close during this seven year run, None of them are working together anymore at all. Yeah, that was that was really kind of surprising. I mean, you I suppose you always assume that, you know, when these these characters get older, they might go off and do their own things. But it was so different. And the fact that well, I think one of the things that really bothered me about the the future timeline is that there was no Deanna Troy. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like there was conflict between Worf and Riker that almost seemed a little too overworked and manufactured by the writers. And we didn't even really get a good explanation as to why Troy wasn't there other than, you know, there's a casual mention of her funeral. Right. And I really think that that, that's one of the elements of the future timeline that really bothered me. Was there any, this is a complete, I have no idea. I'm just asking if you know of anything. Was there anything at the time where she was unavailable or, or was it more of just, we don't really have anything to write her in for the future. So we're just going to have her dead. I, like I said, I think it was a way to manufacture, con- manufacture conflict between Worf and Riker. Yeah. Because obviously they were all there for the finale. True. I think that's a a disservice to to the Troy character and to Marina in particular, Um, because, as you said, I mean, that that tension is, you know, that's kind of a poor way to have that tension show up. And the tension really is only for, you know, one brief scene. Uh, So they had that whole thing worked up for just that. eh, That's a little shaky. Uh, just a little bit. It, it's not a. It's not a major annoyance. I mean, you know, in this finale, you kind of want all the characters to shine. You know, you want all the characters to have their moments. And I, I don't know if Troy 
got necessary. I don't think really any of the secondary characters and any of the, the characters other than Picard got any of that because it really was the Jean-Luc Picard show. In, in hindsight, it's a great story, so I'm okay with it. But it being the finale, I kind of hope for a little more, you know, um, Star Trek type teamwork vibe, if that makes sense. Right, right. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up when we're talking about things in the future that, that we didn't like, some of the things I really did like about the future, and they're very small things, but they make the future enjoyable for me. One, I got to say for the whole episode, but specifically for the future, the special effects are really great and they stand out superbly 30 years later. Um, the anomaly looks brilliant. The uh, three nacelle enterprise flying uh, through uh, vertically and taking out the Klingon ship looks masterful. Uh, I love the Admiral Riker aged look as well as Picard's beard. Um, and, you know, little things like data being able to use contractions, stuff like that. Those little things really worked in a lot of the areas of the future. So the future was not all completely bad for me. That's for sure. No, definitely. It just like, you know, the, the pre far point scenes were not bad. You know, th- there's so much there that's fan service to everything that, you know, it's, it's hard to watch this episode and, and really get upset by anything because it's, it's so fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, I am, um, but you know, if you think about it, Picard, Data and Worf are really the only crew members in all three time periods that actively participate in what's going on. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. Geordi's not aboard the Enterprise, and neither is Riker at uh, in the pre Farpoint era. You know, um, uh, Troy is is deceased by the time we get to the future, and and although Riker's around, he's obviously not in the other segments. But you sort of have that triumvirate pretty much the whole way through, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, you know, I do want to talk about the, the, the major problem that I have with the episode, but I don't know if that's something we want to do now or later on. I'm going to ask you what you think about that. Now let's do it. All right. I've got, I love the episode. Please don't, don't take this as, as, as any way, shape or form saying that I don't love it, but I have a huge problem with a monumental mistake uh, in this episode, and I and I honestly don't know why. I've never really heard a lot of discussion over it over the thirty years since the episode aired. And the more I watch it, the more it it irks me a little bit that this could have gotten by so easily by the writing staff and the production teams and everything. So let's get let's break it down. The anomaly is formed and it's building over time backwards. And at one point, it is stated clearly by data in the normal season seven timeline that the three inverse tachyon pulses originated from the enterprise in each timeline. But I don't know if you caught this man, but that that's not the case. The tachyon pulse in the future timeline was generated by the Pasteur before it got destroyed. So if this, this anomaly was created by the tachyon beams by the enterprise in each time period, it should have never been created because the enterprise in the future didn't create it. Uh, And that, I don't understand how that possibly could have gotten through. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. Why's that? <laughs> well, 20 years ago, Ron Moore used to do a lot of AOL chats and they were very informal things and people would pop into a chat room and ask him questions. And he did a lot of deep space nine talk back in those days. Okay. I was on more of those chats than I, I can even remember at this point. 
But Ron Moore actually brought it up in 1997, 20 years ago. And somebody in the chat actually brought up that error. And he said, quote, and this is using Memory Alpha as the source. This is an error that no one caught until the episode was on the air. And who caught it first? Rick Berman's 10-year-old son. Kind of humbling, end quote. (laughs) Wow. That's, man, that is really amazing because as Star Trek fans, we demand perfection, to quote the Borg, to a point. And and we're seeing today with Discovery that the writers are – they are on point. They are researching to unbelievable detail things that are going on to make sure that it's established canon and things are going correctly and there's no errors. This is a big error, man. It's huge for me. Um, I I don't know what else to say besides that. It's can I overlook it? I guess I kind of have to because the episode you know wraps up nicely and everything's you know good. But that's a glaring big big mistake that's like that's like typing rm star on a unix server and hitting enter and then just walking away i mean that's bad stuff (laughs) see see for me you know the it it, since we and we're nitpicking and we know we're nitpicking (laughs) yes you know because there's always these elements for me the one that is the hardest to swallow is warp 13 (laughs) you know it's funny that you say that because when I was watching it and she's this weekend and 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 they say it more than once. It's like, okay, well, warp 10 is you're not supposed to be able to go faster than warp 10, but maybe they've developed a different warp chart. So maybe, but I totally get what you're saying. That yeah, absolutely. That's not possible. Well, plus it it also means the warp 5 speed limit is gone <laughs> that we've got in force of nature. That lasted for about a half hour. <laughs> it lasted for about a half an hour. I was like, warp 13. Um uh, no, Admiral. Um, still dealing with nine point nine seven five. Thanks. And why a third nacelle? I just, I just think to make it look cool because it looked cool. I liked it because it's not like it's going to make it go super fast and like, like Kit in Night Rider when it had super pursuit mode. <laughs> okay, I can't even breathe right now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe that third nacelle is for some kind of tachyon uh, temporal jibber jabber. (laughs) I'm sorry, did you just jibber jabber me? I just did throw a jibber jabber. (laughs) One thing I do want to throw in also about the nitpicking that we're doing and about the whole tachyon thing. We as Star Trek fans and many of our listeners of Star Trek fans will, will, will nitpick stuff like this. So I'm watching it this weekend and my sister is watching with, with me. And my brother-in-law and I bring this up and I'm like, this, this is, this is the mistake guys. This, this is wrong. This shouldn't have happened. The enterprise didn't create it. The pastor created it, blah, 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 blah. And I'm getting all like, wah. And my sister goes, you know what? Maybe you should just shut up and like the episode. (laughs) (laughs) For once, I agree with your sister. I mean, that's, I mean. Well, this is also the same person who said Alex Trebek was in a Star Trek movie. So we'll just leave it at that. How do we know that Alex Trebek isn't in this? Oh, good point. We, yeah, we don't. <laughs> oh, we don't, my friend. I um. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, we do watch this and we do enjoy it, right? It's not like we hate this episode. I mean, this is a great, you know, hour and a half of Star Trek. Once you subtract the commercials, mm-hmm. it's it's a great story and it's a it's a good finale. Um, we're going to talk a bit more about where it ranks in the in the pantheon of finales later on, but Dan you've got to have some favorite moments or scenes or 
or elements of this episode. And later we'll talk about what we think the best scene in the entire episode is. But what are some of your favorites as you, you consider all good things? I like, um, (laughs) old Picard reminds me of my dad (laughs) because he can never be wrong. The, the scene that I always laugh at is, um, in the future when he shows up in 10 forward and he's telling Will that they have to go back in time, blah, 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 blah. And, and he's trying to explain. And it's almost as if he realizes that the pastor created the inverse tachyon pulse because he starts to say it and he acts all confused. And then data's like, I think that the captain is talking about a something or something paradox. And Picard's like, yes, that's it. You're right. A paradox. The way that he says that is just one of my favorite movies because he's like, see, I was right. Mm-hmm. I just, I just love that. There are a few times when Patrick Stewart has a very Marv Albert, like, yes, <laughs> yes. Worf. you know, it just, he gets very excited now. Yeah. It's funny. Um, <laughs> when he's talking to Jordy and, uh, he says that, uh, we're going to need a ship and, and he just starts punching Jordy on the shoulder like four times with a big smile on his face. It's what I like to do to you every once in a while, just because I like to punch you. But I like that scene a lot. Just those little things that, you know, they haven't seen each other for years, but they're still friends. And, and, uh, I like that a lot too. I have to say that one of my favorite moments in this episode happens after the first time Picard is with Tasha on board the shuttlecraft, getting ready to head to the enterprise at uh, McKinley station. And, you know, the, the scene happens where he's with Tasha and he comes back to the present timeline and he's there with Troy and he has this really distant look in his eyes. Painful. It, it's painful. And then he says, you know, Tasha, I, I was just with Tasha and he sits down or I should say slumps down in this chair and you see his body just sort of, you know, collapse in a way, his posture is gone, you know, because his heart is still broken and they linger on that shot for, for just the perfect amount of time before it goes into the commercial break. And that is just such a wonderful moment. It's, it's heart wrenching because you know that he's right back there regretting pretty much everything that happened, you know, as far as his skin of evil is concerned. Mm-hmm. And I, it's such a beautiful moment that's so superbly acted by Patrick Stewart. It is the way that he puts his hand up to his chin just as it's starting to fade out. I mean, it looks like he's about to break down. It's yeah. just, it's just wonderful. That makes me think of another moment that I, I absolutely adore in this episode. And it's after the, um, the anomaly is, is almost destroyed or is just about to be destroyed. And you see it kind of like imploding in on the remaining enterprise and then it flashes and then you're looking at Picard from the top down and he's slumped over with his hands on his knees and his hands in his face. And the camera is doing a spiral down to him as if he's the weight of the, not only the world, but the cold galaxy is on his shoulders. That moment and the moment where he thanks Q with a very profound thank you are very strong moments. And even though Q is somebody who has caused nothing but trouble most of the time for the crew, there's a bond between the two of them that I think Picard finally accepts when he says, thank you. Yes. I thought that too, as I was watching it, you know, you realize that these two characters, you know, for, for whatever reason were destined to, to come together. And, you know, as, 
as much as Q has tormented them and as much as he has sort of been Picard's foil in that moment, you realize that, you know, Picard understands on some level what Q is trying to do. And it's, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, Delancey is, as we've talked about many times, always incredible, but there is just such wonderful chemistry between Delancey and Stewart that that scene just really hits home even more. Yeah, it's great. And can you imagine the, uh, the scope of feeling that you, that Picard must've had when he realized that as Q said, he is the reason why humanity is going to be completely wiped out of existence. That's got to be quite a load to bear for a little bit. So well, that really, scene. If you think about it, we could blame Data. <laughs> that's, that's right. Data's He's the one who came up with the idea. Yeah, he initiates the pulse. <laughs> that's right. Data, what a jerk. What a, <laughs> I'm going to have a word with Mr. Spiner in Vegas, I think. <laughs> I, no, you won't. You'll do nothing of the kind. No, I will not. <laughs> you know, Good point. We, talk, we talked a little bit earlier about the just very little touches. And um, it was neat to see Jordy in the, the the future timeline with the eyes he would eventually have in Star Trek First Contact. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't when this was broadcast in 1994 in standard def, you didn't really get that detail. But now on the Blu-rays and on Netflix, you can see the lenses look pretty much the same. And it, it, I have to admit, as, as a Trekkie, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was good. The little little bits of continuity that they that the that the people who um, did these shows, except for the whole Tachyon Pulse thing, um, really do a good job with. Uh, I like that a lot. I also liked how he was kind of growing his own eyes back in the current timeline. And I always find it a little freaky when we see Jordy without his visor on. First of all, it's good because we get to see LeVar Burton. Um, but second, the white lenses with so you can't see pupil or eye, that just freaks me out every time. Oh, I agree. I agree totally. One of the um, one of the other really great things about this episode is Captain Picard, and I mean Beverly Picard of the USS Pasteur, because I I really appreciated the fact that Crusher in that timeline had grown past being a caregiver and become a command officer in charge of a starship. I thought that that was really great story that they were able to work into that future timeline. I agree with that part of what you like about Picard, Beverly Picard as captain of the pastor. One of the things that I don't like about those scenes. And again, this is a very small nitpick. The makeup is great for the future people, but I'm always wondering why for the most part, people in the future's hair has to be like in disarray and kind of like, straggly we saw that with with her and the makeup that she was wearing for on her face to make her look older by however many years 25 years seemed to me that it was holding gates back from being able to talk properly it always sounded like she was holding her jaw shut to me and that took away from the scenes a little bit especially the scene where she's yelling at Jean-Luc for questioning her orders on the bridge it didn't seem as as powerful because it seemed like she was being held back because of the makeup. Does that make sense? Uh, I I suppose it does. I didn't really get that sense of it. I just thought she was attempting to sound older um, and not like, you know, the Beverly Picard from 25 years Mm -hmm. previous. Um, But uh, you could be onto something there for all I know. I could have just misinterpreted it. 
one of the things that I did as I was watching it this weekend, because that's something that's been bothering me all the times I've watched all good things is that is those scenes with Gates as, as she does a great job with them. But I felt that the makeup was, was causing a hindrance to her. So this time I was really focusing in to see where the makeup actually was on her face. And you can very, very vaguely make out where the lines are at her cheeks and around to her lower jaw. So I got to wonder if there was concern that if she, you know, if she was going to yell at Picard and was going to really open her mouth and and shout that it could crack or something like that. So I got to wonder if maybe she was told not to force it too much. Who knows? I mean, that may be a question for a convention at someday, but it's just something that always has stood out to me. I do love that scene in her ready room, though, where she's dressing down Jean-Luc mm. because she's 100% right. You know, Absolutely. She would never have stood for that on his enterprise. And she is 100% correct to, to just you know, call him out on it. I thought it, was a, I thought it was a great scene. It was a great scene. Speaking of that, let me ask you one question about that scene in particular or about that time frame. What did you think of the uniforms for the people on the Pasteur? I've never really liked them. Thank you. Um, I, I just, I thought they looked kind of bizarre. Yeah. Um, I, I really don't even like the com badge per se, but I think that's the less egregious thing as we look at that. I just thought the, the uniforms were kind of, eh. Yeah. As, as we saw the uniforms in the future on the Pastor and on the Enterprise also, I didn't like them. However, I did like very much Admiral Riker's uniform. I thought that that was cool. It kind of made me think of DS9 a little bit, um, but I was not a fan of the general uh, um, people on the Enterprise and on the Pastor's uniform. They looked they looked pajama-ish to me, but not a, a different kind of pajama than season one of TNG. Well, to me, the, the Riker Admiral uniform looked not unlike the TNG dress uniform, really, if you think about it. Sure. Um, more like a bathrobe <laughs> than pajamas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, speaking of, of scenes, and uh, th- this is probably one that, that comes up a lot when people talk about all good things, is the Worf and Deanna scenes um, in, the pr- in the present timeline. Of course, the episode starts off with them coming out of the holodeck, and they're kind of planning their next date, and you know they go to lean in to kiss one another, and Picard, of course, interrupts because he's Picard and he can do that. But this really was sort of the the culmination or the, really the last time we ever saw the Worf Deanna relationship type thing. And really it was the most we saw of it, quite frankly. That would be on Stardate 47988, I believe. Uh, That's correct. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, it was interesting to me that this was the beginning, I think, of the of one of the things that I think Star Trek sometimes suffered from, and that's forcing relationships on characters. Um, they started it um, in um, Parallels. It was kind of cool that they brought that over into our universe and had the relationship start to evolve. But then, like you said, it just kind of dropped off um, and was never talked about again. And and Deanna and Will end up marrying each other in the movies. But then we saw relationships in in the other epi- in the other series. We saw um, Odo and Kira, and then we saw um, uh, Bashir and Dax and Worf and Dax and Dax and everybody else on the ship. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. And then, of course, um, Tom Paris and, and Bellana. Um, I it, they were interesting. They weren't to me. And I'm talking now about the Wharf and Deanna ones. Even though they were leaning in for that first kiss, they never felt like they were compatible very much. 
And I don't know if that was just the way that they acted the scenes together or if it was meant to be that way. I don't, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Did you think that they were done well and that, that it could have been a, a good, uh, a good relationship? I think if they'd started this back in season five, maybe, um, I, I think that to wait till like sort of the back nine of the last season, you know, really just sort of, I think did both characters a disservice. Ultimately, I think that Worf and Deanna are slightly more compatible than, say, Chakotay and Seven of Nine. Mm -hmm. But it seems like this relationship was just as haphazard as that relationship in Voyager. You know, it it doesn't quite fit. They kind of shoehorn it in in the finale. And uh, I I wanted more of that. I mean, these are two characters we've invested in for seven full years. Mm -hmm. And it would have been nice to see where it went. I will tell you that one of the things I really liked was Riker. You know, there's that scene in the uh, in the briefing room where he asked Deanna if she wants to have dinner, and she's like, "Well, no, um, we have plans." And Riker looks like he's been kicked in the gut. <laughs> yeah. He really does. It's so well played by Frakes. And it and he, he still it looks like he's been kicked in the gut when he's on the bridge and Picard is asking him to do something, and he completely doesn't even hear Picard, and he admits that he's distracted. And who wouldn't be in that sense, right? Sure. You know, your your ex, your Imzadi, is now essentially possibly pursuing a romantic relationship with, you know, the chief of security, a, a Klingon who works right behind you. Mm. You know, you guys all work together intimately. It, that's got to be uncomfortable. And I, I really appreciated how Frakes played that scene. You know, what's funny is, is even though we never saw anything from this point with the wharf Deanna relationship. I will say that Star Trek fans got their money's worth of it after this, because I've talked before about how I love reading the Star Trek novels. And even though they're not canon, they are still enjoyable to read. For the longest amount of time, my favorite novel was Imzadi by Peter David. And now it's Soldiers of Empire by David Mack. Wonderful stories. But Peter David came out with a sequel to Imzadi called Imzadi 2. And it was wrapped around the whole Worf and Deanna romance. So people took the idea and ran with it and did some good stories with it. And, you know, it's good to see that these things can live on in other things besides just the TV and movies. I agree. Um, I personally, I've read Imzadi. I didn't read Imzadi too, but I may have to loop back and, uh, and check that out just based on that. So it's, it's not as good as Imzadi. Imzadi is one of the best Star Trek novels ever written, but it is an enjoyable read. Okay, fair enough. So, Dan, as we look at this episode as a whole, um, I think we both have a very definitive thought on what the best scene in the entire finale is. Oh, yes, I, I agree. For me, hands down, as you can see when you look at the album cover for this week, it's the final scene. It's the poker game. And when Picard comes in, it's 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 a wonderful scene. It's it's a little heartbreaking too, but for me, with all that's going on and all the different things that happen and all the three different time periods, this is it's not even close that this to me is the best scene of the entire finale. I think that this is one of those areas that that highlights one of the things I wish were slightly different about this episode. This final scene works so well because these seven characters who've been together for for seven seasons and have worked closely together um are are enjoying each other's company you know they're showing that the relationship means something to all of them and i think that maybe the finale if if constructed a little bit differently 
could have called out some of this more because I really think that this episode, the scene in this episode is hands down one of the best in, in seven years of next gen, you know, Picard looks, you know, sort of nervous to walk in, which is great. And he admits he should have done it a long time ago. And, and he should have. And then I think Deanna Troy has the best line in the entire finale right after that, when she says, you were always welcome. You know, it's, it, it is a scene that is gold. And the one thing that I've learned from that scene is that Jean-Luc Picard has no idea how to deal cards. <laughs> it's yes. Um, the look on his face when he is shuffling and looks up and looks at every one of his senior staff in the eye one by one before he says, I should have done this a long time ago. That pulls on me every single time because we know how lonely a captain is and you can hear the regret in his voice when he says that he should have done it a long time ago. Um, and for Deanna to come back with that line to me, it's, it's, I agree with you. It's, it's the best. If it's one of the best, if not the best lines of the entire finale, but at the same time, it's, Oh my God, if I was Picard and I was, I had just looked at my crew, said what I said, and she said that, it would have been like, yeah, thanks for making me feel worse now <laughs> because that's <laughs> what it sounds like. Um, but it is, it is, it, you're, you're absolutely right. This scene shows that for seven seasons, this crew was for all intents and purposes, a family. And we didn't get to see that to this level until the last 15 seconds of the series. Yeah. Yeah. No, without a doubt. Um, so as we look at the finales of Star Trek episodes, you know, last week you uh, on the theater skip it for TNG season seven, you made a very bold claim. Mm -hmm. And since then you've gone back and rewatched it. And I want to ask you, do you still feel the same way? Because you said that this was a near perfect finale and probably, one of the best finales, if not the best in television history. And I'm sort of paraphrasing. Yep. Um, do you still feel the same way? Nope. Why? Um, I, I gotta say, and, and, um, and I apologize if anybody is upset that I'm backtracking, but if I make a mistake, I'm going to stand up and probably say I made a mistake and, and say why my thoughts last week were based on the fact of what I remember from it and, and watching it from time to time and, and, and knowing that Star Trek The Next Generation was a game changer for television, and it was a game changer for Star Trek forever. We had only had the original series, and we had been watching that over and over and over for so many years, and then we finally got new Star Trek, and it was just amazing. Looking at it now, and I'm going to take uh, from our friends over at Mission Log, I'm going to take something from them. Looking at this now, this finale does not hold up over time as well as I thought it did in the past, it's a great finale. Don't get me wrong. But if I look at this and then look at the finale of Deep Space Nine, and everybody knows how Deep Space Nine is for me and what it means to me and what it did for me. And looking at the final scenes of Deep Space Nine and comparing the two, I cannot say that All Good Things is better than the finale of Deep Space Nine. It's just, and 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 I, I don't want to sound like I'm just, changing my mind just to change my mind. I, I thought about this for a long time before we recorded today, because it's a big thing to say, this is one of the best finales in television history one week, and then come back the next week and say, nah, no, it isn't. But after watching it again and having it in my mind fresh, it, 
it it's excellent. It's brilliant. It's a very well done episode, but I think I was looking at it through, uh, 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 what's the term? The glasses, funny glasses, so that everything rose colored glasses. Thank you, rose colored glasses. Last week when we were talking about it, and I was thinking about it off the top of my head. And that's fair. I mean, it's it's not like you're saying the episode's horrible because it's not. I mean, we both love this episode a great deal. Mm-hmm. I um, I, I've always been appreciative of this episode, but I've never thought it was a fantastic finale. Um, I, I do think that Deep Space Nine has the best finale of all the Star Treks, and I think this one comes in behind it at number two yes. so far. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say so far. Right. Because there's still more Star Trek out there as we record this. Isn't it great that we can say that now? I know. Um, <laughs> I, I do think that, you know, at, when I watched it live, you know, it was emotional because it was the last next gen. But I also knew they were coming back in a movie. Right. Later Good that point. year, you know. Um, I knew that Deep Space Nine was still on the air. So even though I wasn't going to have Next Gen, I still had Star Trek on television. Whereas I think if if it were just Star Trek riding off into the galaxy for an undetermined amount of time, I think this finale would have carried more weight with me then in 1994. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one of the things that I, I was thinking about today is, and I just mentioned it, that last scene it's it pulls at the heartstrings. It's 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 hard to it's it's hard to watch Picard and and see what he's realize he's missed. And the shot of the ship going out and the galaxies behind it is beautiful. However, as 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 wonderful as that scene is and how emotional it is, I a forty eight year old guy. Every time I watch the finale of Deep Space Nine, blubbering fool. With the way you look tonight music and showing all the crew and then uh, Jake and Kira looking out towards the wormhole and that pullback from the station, blubbering fool, man, not with this one. It's emotional, but it's not, it's no, it's not on the same level as is with, with uh, what you leave behind. I got to say. Well, spoiler alert next year at this time, (laughs) we'll be talking about what you leave behind to sort of culminate our DS nine twenty five retrospective but for now dan any final thoughts on the series finale of star trek the next generation all good things i love the fact that this series is so beloved by so many millions of people for so many people especially people our age and a little younger this is their first star trek our dear friend michelle specht this is her first Star Trek, and this is her favorite series. I'm going to use her just as an example. This show opened the floodgates in an exponential level to welcoming new fandom, and I will always be so grateful for that. And this episode really stands out as one that people can grasp onto and Enjoy a great Star Trek story that has great special effects, has time travel, has emotion. Um, it, it, it has everything wrapped up into this one show, and it's the finale. So I think it makes it more enjoyable and important in the overall looking at Star Trek The Next Generation as a whole. Dan, you know what else has all of those things? Hmm. Uh, I'll I- tell you. It is the music of our friends, the band Five Year Mission. Ah. We are so thankful to them for every last note of music that you hear on this year podcast. 
that um, uh, it's all we can do to thank them every single week. We are so grateful. And um, we want everyone to head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Download all their albums. Please go support their crowdfunding because um, we want to see year four and, and the beefcake calendar. I can just, I can't wait to see that. I really can't. So let's make that happen. But fiveyearmission.net, go download all their albums and get ready for year four because it's coming soon. I was going to sing, but but I don't want another lawsuit thrown at me. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, Instead, Bill, I'm going to talk about the latest episode that I watched this week after all good things, because, you know, I got to get me some five-year mission episodes every single week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This week, you know, I got to say, I have really grown to appreciate Enterprise. It's fun. And there's some great stories like the one I just watched where the Enterprise tries to help a cargo vessel that's trying to transport a band member in this malfunctioning stasis pod. Do you remember this one? Um, No. Trip tries to fix it and the band member wakes up, setting off the stage for a little adventure and comedy and even a little romance. Check it out. It's called Precious Fargo. Uh, Maybe that's um, why somebody threw up on Fark's car today. Oh, uh, it's just, oh, God. I, <laughs> yeah. uh, and you, you realize we want people to go donate to their Kickstarter, right? Hey, I'm just the messenger. It's a great episode, man. Precious Fargo. Right. Right. Dan, um, let's just tell people to go out to fiveyearmission.net, download all their songs. How's that? That sounds wonderful. Go to fiveyearmission.net uh, five and download all their albums and go check out their Kickstarter. Awesome. Dan, we also want people to subscribe to the Trek Geeks podcast if they haven't already. You know, whether it's Apple Podcasts, uh, the the platform formerly known as iTunes or Google Play or iHeartRadio, or now even Spotify, the planet's largest streaming service, you can get Trek Geeks automatically on your mobile device every single week week head on out to subscribe.trekgeeks.com find all the ways you can deliver this here podcast straight into your hands and um that way you don't have to do any work you don't have to go out and get it because trying to have to deal with dan davidson is work you know and you don't want to do that oh dan next week it is our last new episode of 2017 before we take a little holiday break to enjoy with our families and uh we're gonna revisit something in a slightly different way yeah, it's always uh, it's nice to do this. This will be uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to go back and look at all the different things that William Shatner has done as Captain Kirk over the years that wasn't on Star Trek itself. Bill, it's Shatnermas Part Two. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, just for the record, I created Shatnermas about ten years ago. And I celebrated it online. It's just a celebration of a really Kirk, if you think about it. But Shatnermas is a much better name than Kirkmas. Um, but we're going to talk about all the great Captain Kirkness coming up next week in part two of Shatnermas. So please don't miss it. Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at the thetricordertransmissions.com. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 123 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. <laughs> you obtuse piece of coconut. Hmm.
I said bing bong. Hey, top of the world to you, governor. <laughs> Let's put another shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? He's... What? <laughs> top, top of the world to you, governor. Put another shrimp on the barbie. So you've mixed horrible uh, English and, and Australian accents. Duncan Shane. Oh, <laughs> uh, Bob Benny. Bob Benny. Uh, Very nice. How, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you? Absolutely wonderful. It's always good to to be here with, <laughs> with I can't even say it with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we get to commute together in just still oh, ten hours somewhere about there. 12. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> Uh, yes, hate you yes. so much. I, I didn't get to commute with you on Friday. I miss you. It was the best day of my week. <laughs> wow. Not for me. I could have stayed there till seven, eight o'clock at night working on stuff. I, I'm surprised you didn't, quite honestly. It was a long day. We went to a um a Christmas party at our gym on Friday night. Mm-hmm. And it was a great time. There were a lot of laughs. We uh there's there's a trainer that that likes to uh, jokingly harass Kelly and I. And we had uh, sweatshirts printed up with his face on it. And he was made up like an elf. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I, I, I can imagine that uh, this week um, it's going to be even worse. <laughs> yeah. Have fun on your workouts this week, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe I appreciate it's something. that. I can't really think of what it is, but I know it's something. It's a Dan Davidson. There you go. Yes. Oh, that could be brutal. <laughs> um yeah <laughs> yeah okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anything so, else uh, exciting going on no not really i um watched all good things today in advance yeah. of our uh our discussion i didn't think yeah. i was going to be able to watch it ahead of time well way to be with it there mr ep way to be on the wall well some of us actually have a lot of work to do um, oh i have like a lot you. of work to do but i make time <laughs> yeah, yeah. During the workday, while you're supposed to be doing other things. No, no, no. I did it. Yes, I watched it yesterday. Yeah, unlike you, I have a life. So um, called multitasking. That, that's not what it's called. <laughs> that's not what it's called at all. Oh wait, so you're ironing your underwear and watching all good things? <laughs> no, correct. No, no. Sue is at a hair appointment, so I had some free time, so I did. I watched it. Were you ironing? No, I was folding clothes, though. I did some laundry, folded clothes, the ironings. I can see the ironing from here. I got a lot to do. I haven't done any in, a, in a, about a, a week and a half. Oh, my God. How do, how do you deal? It's oh, it's not easy, I got to tell you. It's like I, I kind of start getting the shakes every once in a while. Wow. I um, I, I wish I could say that I understood, but um, <laughs> I don't. So there. I just, it's just the weirdest thing. I like ironing. I don't know why. Is it is it calming to you? It's very calming to me. Really? Uh-huh. Interesting. It is. I like it. And ironing your underwear just is uh, All right. makes for you the, even more calm? For the record, Your Honor, as I am under oath, um, I do not iron my underwear. Uh, let's get that right. I iron my T-shirts. I iron, That's underwear. What's that? That's underwear. No, no. I don't, I don't wear undershirt T-shirts, just T-shirts, okay. like my Trek Geek shirts and stuff like that. I iron those. I do iron you, those. You iron t-shirts? Yep. Do you iron your jeans? It all depends on how wrinkly they are. <laughs> if they've been in the dryer for a long time and I haven't gotten them in a while and I take them and they're all crumply, I may I may uh, make a pass or two across them. Yeah, sure. I don't put I don't put like creases in them or anything like that. 
You need one of those hey, newfangled cut on my uh, creases on my shirts and pant dress pants though. You need one of those newfangled dryers that has a a steam yep. setting so that you can use it to take wrinkles out of your jeans. Yep. I I'm, I we get the new house. Uh, I might uh, look into that. Mm-hmm. And then your underwear. Don't forget. I've seen you iron your underwear in Vegas. You have ne- You are a liar. You are no, not I'm truthful not. in any way, shape, or form. I'm being a hundred. I'm being a hundred percent truthful. You are. Frankly. I would like proof, sir, because I challenge you to that. You didn't want me to take a photo of you because you were in your underwear. You ironing your underwear. It was very meta. The gauntlet has been put down, my friend. If you are unable to produce, then you can just stop right now. Methinks you doth protest too much. <laughs> well, the truth is the truth, and if you don't want to believe it, that's fine with me. Hashtag Dan Irons' his underwear. <laughs> You're going to put that out on Twitter tonight, aren't you? <laughs> uh-huh. Hashtag yep. creased tidy whitey. I've got a perfect idea for Trek Tuesday. <laughs> Show us your Trek swag. <laughs> <laughs> you Yours asked will be for perfect. it. <laughs> Yours will be perfectly pressed. <laughs> wow. Okay. I know. I'm stunned just like the rest of our listeners. Everyone, just remember, Bill asked for it. I I didn't ask for anything. I I simply disclosed the fact that you iron your underwear. False. No, not not false, false at all. Yeah, like I said, when you can produce the evidence, I will. I will. Okay, I'll say okay. But since it doesn't happen and has never happened, and you can't show that it has happened, you're incorrect, sir. It's it's quite the the portrait you've painted to to purposely make me try to look like a liar because you didn't want me to take photos because you were in your underwear and you didn't want them on social media. When so I see how this is going to be my underwear. First of all, we at STLV, remember? No, I don't. Oh, okay then. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, Your Honor. Slowly but surely, there's no the judge here. Rest. Slowly but surely, your uh. Your lie is just eroding away. So I don't think so. I don't think so. I'll tell you what. You know what I'm going to do just for you because you asked for it tomorrow. I'm going to bring every pair of underwear that I own into your car with me, and you can check to see if they're ironed. And you can take photos and post them on Twitter to show whether or not I am untruthful, or if you are just spinning yarns, my good friend. Uh, No, you're not, because I'm not going to pick you up if you're bringing all your underwear. You've got to. A lot of underwear that you iron every week. <laughs> All right. You just go and believe in that. That's fine. The important I, people know it's not true. I always believe in the truth. The important people. You may, so that's you. May, that's you you may yourself. believe in the truth, but you obviously don't talk about it. I, I'm talking about it right now. I don't think you are. All right. Um, you know what? I, you, we can take this argument offline. And uh, You're, why don't we you're start embarrassed. I get it. It's okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. 